All right, if you would, open your Bibles to uh, the book of Exodus chapter 3, and as well as you may want to mark and uh, put a bookmark in Acts chapter 7. We'll be in both of those places today. But in Acts chapter 3, that's where, we'll, that's where we will be starting, that's where the majority of the sermon will be coming from. We'll start off with just asking a few different questions. Have you ever wondered, you know, what would happen if people were as intense and committed and determined about church and the ministry of the gospel as they were about their favorite sports or their favorite teams or their favorite, um, or their favorite pastimes or their hobbies, the things that really interested them the most. The question I'm asking is what would it look like if the people of God had that same enthusiasm and that same commitment to Christ as they did, uh, as, as they do with their, their favorite teams and their favorite sports? Another question I'd like to ask is why does it that we feel when it comes to doing the work of the ministry that we have the freedom to offer excuses as to why we're not going to participate in ministry when we have that calling? But not only that, but these excuses that we use would be absolute, absolutely ridiculous if we used them in any area of our lives. Excuses like this. Now, some years ago, the Moody Monthly put out a a, uh, a monthly piece, and this is what it said. It was, it was kind of titled, some, um, it, it, was, it was titled that, um, it said, uh, it's excuses that one might use for quitting sports. But they made the excuses that we use for not doing church work or ministry of the gospel in place. So here it is. So the excuses which a fellow might use for quitting sports. Every time I went, they asked for money. The people with whom I sat didn't seem very friendly, so I'm quitting sports. The seats were too hard and uncomfortable. The coach never came to see me. You can still laugh, it's okay. Yeah. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree, so therefore I'm quitting sports. When I got there, I was sitting with some hypocrites and they only came to see what everybody else was wearing. The games were scheduled whenever I had other things to do, so therefore I quit sports. The, the band played songs that I'd never heard before. You know, my parents took me to a lot of games while I was growing up, and since I've read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyway. I don't want to take my children to, to sports. I don't want to make them go to sporting events because I want them to choose for themselves a sport that they like. See how ridiculous those excuses sound? But for whatever reason, we think that they're valid excuses, or we can even call them reasons for not participating in the ministry, or for not participating in the functions of your church or your congregation. So what we're going to be talking about today is absolutely, we want to stop, stop using excuses. The title is, No More Excuses, It's Time for Service. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You'll find that this is a very familiar um, passage of Scripture. Next is chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. 
So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not draw near to this place. Take off your sandals off of your feet. For this place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in, who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters. For I know your sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from, to a land that is good and large. It's a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Up to this point, I bet Moses is pumped. Wouldn't you agree? He's like, yes, finally, finally something has happened, happening for my children, my people. God is coming down, and he is going to free my people from the oppression of slavery in Egypt, and they're going to come out, and he's going to give them a great land. This is awesome. I'm all for it, especially whenever God called out to him. He said, Moses, Moses, in verse 4, here I am. And then he starts giving me all of this really good news. But the surprise comes in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This kind of let the air out of his balloon a little bit, I'm sure. Because what happens next? Very next word. But, 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 hold on a second. I like the idea. I think what you're offering is really good. I think your plan is good. I think, yes, they, they need to come out of there. You know, they're oppressed. It's not really good for them. It's not good for your people. But, and you want to send me. Hold on a second. But, but then Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You know, he's throwing up an excuse here. So God has already told him what he wants to done. He's already told him the result that's going to happen. It's like, I want to, I want to free my children from this, uh, from this horrible oppression. And whenever, whenever God says, look, Moses, I want you to do it. I'm not your guy. Who am I that you would actually ask me to go to Pharaoh, to go to Egypt to free your people? Now, I can understand, and it's a really big task, would you agree? To stand up to Pharaoh, to reject what you had grown up in as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, and to go into the Pharaoh and say, you are going to let my people go because my God said so. It's a tough task. So I can understand the, the, um, maybe the insecurities and even some things that actually happened in the past. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 7. They may have fed into this a little bit. Because he had actually tried to help the children of um, Israel before. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, Now when he was 40 years old, 
speaking of Moses, it came into his heart to visit the brethren, the children of Israel. And saying one of them, and seeing one of them suffer, he defended and avenged him who oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them. As they were fighting, he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you the ruler and the judge over us? Who do you think you are? Do you want to kill me just as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And then at this saying, Moses fled. He fled to Midian, where he'd spent another 40 years. Now he had tried, and the last interaction that he had with the children of Israel was this instant before he fled to Midian. He had been rejected by his own people. He actually went and tried to help them out. So look, guys, you guys are brothers. There's no sense in doing this. Who do you think you are? What do you, what do you think? You, I mean, who made you the ruler and judge over us? You know, we're the children of Israel. You've been living the high life with, under Pharaoh. But God had called Moses to do this. He said, I want to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out. In verse 11, he said, he said, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I'm not your God. I'm not really the one that you want to do this. So he had some, he had some inconsistencies. Or he had some insecurities. He had some, he was fear of failure that he was looking at. He didn't want to go back and be met with the exact same rejection as he had left. But God reassured him here. He says, I will certainly be with you, verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, God reassured him what? His presence, and he's already reassured him a victory in this. Because what did he say? He goes, I'm going to be with you, and whenever you leave, you're going to meet me here at this mountain and serve me. So he's already promised victory, and he's also, also promised his presence. That should be enough for Moses, right? He's fired up and ready to go. No. But he threw out an excuse saying, look, I'm, I'm probably not the guy that you want. I'm not, I'm not him. But don't you think if God actually wanted somebody else, he probably would have lit a bush somewhere else? Absolutely. But he specifically called Moses, and he said, Moses, I want to send you to Pharaoh. You are my God. I will be with you. And whenever you come out of Egypt, you're going to meet me right here, and I'll be waiting. So he gave, him the, he gave him the reassurance, but however, that does not persuade Moses. Because what does he say in verse 13? Verse 13, it says, Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say then? What if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? How many of y'all have used that one before? Yeah. That's what, that's what Moses is throwing up. He's like, well, look, what if they ask me who you are? I mean, what am I going to tell them? I mean, I really need to know these things if I'm going to be put out there. Which is a fair question. I would agree. So he's going to come, out, come back out of the wilderness or out of Midian, back to the land of Egypt, to where his people are 40 years later, and say, God has told me to come. Now, God's already introduced himself to Moses, so he knows who he is, the God of Abraham, the Isaac, of Isaac, and of Jacob, Yahweh, the great I Am. And God says this, so this is going to be your answer. If they ask you this question 
of who sent you, you tell them this in verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of, the Israel, of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to, done to you in Egypt. And I have said... I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and of the Hittites and of the Amorites and the Perserites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to the land flowing with milk and honey. So he's gotten his, he's gotten his answer, hasn't he? All right, but I love how God even goes a little bit further. Because Moses' um, excuse was, well, what they asked me the question that I don't have the answer to? Well, God says, well, okay, that's fine. If, if they ask you this, you tell them this. But he also follows up with the results again. He says, then, in verse 18, once you do that, then they will heed your voice. And you, shall, and, 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 um, and you shall come into the elders of the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So he's given him the result, hasn't he? He said, look, don't worry about the children of Israel. You go in my name. I will be with you. You tell them that I am the one who has sent you. They will heed your voice. The elders of Israel will heed your voice. And then you take the, you take the leaders, the elders of Israel, and go to the king, go to Pharaoh, and then you tell him to let you go. Now, God was not, not hiding anything from him. He said, look, this is what's going to happen. But he even fills him in on a few more details in verse 19. He says, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So he's even filling in, filling in the details. Now, if I, if I can expect something, then I can better prepare for it. But God is, God is revealing to Moses a step-by-step -step process that's going to take place. He says, you're, you're going to go to the children of Israel. If you, if you listen to me and you obey, you'll go to them, you'll tell them this, you tell them I sent you, and then you're going to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and you're going to tell him to let you go, and he's not going to let you go. It's going to take a little bit of persuading by me. I will show my wonderful works in their midst, and then he's going to let you go. But if you read him a little bit further, he says, not only are they going to let you go, but you're going to have favor with your neighbors, and you will leave Egypt extremely wealthy. You will have the plunders of Egypt. You are going to be set up. You're going to be ready to go. You'll have the gold. You'll have the silver. You'll have everything that you're possibly going to need. I just need you to go to Pharaoh. Get up. Go to Egypt. Meet with the elders of the, of the children of Israel and go talk to the king and let's get this thing started. So he's got all of the details, right? Is it enough to convince him to go? Does he have any more excuses? Has he eliminated all the possibilities? Well, let's take a look. Chapter 4 and verse 1. And then Moses answered, and he said, Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say that the Lord has not appeared to you. Now, who is they? Well, he's already said that 
they, that the children of Israel, the elders will hear his voice. So now he's making the shift. Well, okay, so what you're saying is I'll be able to convince the children of Israel. But what about the Egyptians? I'm going to go to them and they're going to just kind of laugh at me. They're going to say, no, that has not actually happened. Then what do I say? You know, whenever it comes to making excuses, a lot of times we want to throw up a bunch of what ifs, right? What if? What if this? You know, what if that? Now, I'm not saying that that's, not a poss- that that's not a process in counting the cost. We need to take a look as far as the what ifs go. As far as the what ifs, they can be as minor or as big as you could possibly imagine. But if all, but if all we do is look at the what ifs and assume that the worst possible if is going to happen, it'll keep you dead in your tracks. You're not going to go anywhere. There's always a possibility of failure, yes. There's always a possibility of going into the unknown. There's always a possibility of something happening that you did not expect. But that's not a valid excuse when it comes to God commanding us to do something, is it? No. Those excuses don't work here. God has already assured him that things are going to be just, maybe not just be just fine. He's assured them that you're going to have trouble. You're going to have an issue with the king. He's not going to let you go. I'm going to have to step in. I'm going to have to show my power amongst amongst the, the, uh, the people of Egypt before they let you go. But however, you're going to be set free. And once, you're, and once your people are going to be set free, they're going to be just fine. They're going to be set up. They're going to be, there's not going to be any problem at all. But even at that point, he shifts it over. And he says, well, what if the Egyptians don't do what you said? And every time he's throwing up an, an excuse, he's only illustrating his mistrust in his God. You know, I'm just not the guy. I, you know, I'm not the guy. You can't really, you can't really fulfill your purpose. You know, with me. I'm not your guy. Don't worry, I'll be with you. But what do I say? I don't have the knowledge that I need in order to make this happen. Well, don't worry about that. This is what you're going to tell them. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. But what about this group of people over here? It kind of looks like Moses is kind of chasing whatever he can find, isn't he? You know, Moses is throwing up, throwing up targets, and then God's just nailing them down one by one, shooting it down, bang, shooting it down, bang. Don't worry about that. I got this. Don't worry about that. I got this. You'll do this. In that scenario, in that scenario this is what you do. And Moses keeps firing them off. And in, verse, in chapter 4, and verse 1, it says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me. Or listen to me, or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. Now, I will admit, you know, we're, we're typically our own worst critic. And we tend to look at things from the perspective of what we have the ability to do. Right? We tend to limit God's work in us to what we think that we are able to do. We say, God, look, I know what you're working with here. You know, I failed in this area and this area. I'm not good over here. So, God, I mean, I'm, I'm just not your God. But whenever, but whenever uh, Moses says this time here in chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, what am I going to say whenever they say that, you know, the Lord has not appeared to you? In verse 2, he says, so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? It's my rod. What's that in your hand? It's my stick. All right. That's my stick. He said, all right, throw it down on the ground. And so he, he's obedient. And he throws it down on the ground, and it becomes a snake. He says, no, pick it back up again. Grab it by the tail. 
Okay? So he grabs it by, by the tail and becomes a stick again. It becomes his rod again. And his faith is strengthened by a simple, obedient exchange there. But what was the question that he asked first? What's that in your hand? I want you to understand when God calls you to do something, he's calling you to do something and you are already fully equipped to the thing for which he has called you to do. Whatever you have in your hand, that's enough to fulfill the purpose that God is leading you into. Now, God may choose to add some things along the way, but whenever you called, he says, what's that in your hand? If we throw up the excuse, well, you know, I, I'm not your guy. I don't know what to say, but what if they don't believe me? God's going to say, what's that in your hand? Let's take the question or the, or the excuse, well, you know what, I don't, um, what if they ask me a question I don't know? If you, if you are, are, are failing in, in witnessing or failing to talk to people about Christ or failing to um, share the gospel in the world around you, and your excuse is, well, what if they ask me a question I don't know? God says, what's that in your hand? Cell phone. God says, does that thing have Google? <laughs> yeah. What's that in your hand? It's a Bible. Well, read it. Right? It's just an excuse. You know, he, he's willing to do that. Or God, you know, I, I can't give. What's that in your Bible? Or what's that in your hand? That's my wallet. Okay. Well, give. God, I don't have time. My, my schedule is so, so tied up. It's so locked up. I don't have time to do all of these things. God says, well, what's that in your hand? It's my calendar. Okay. Schedule the priorities first. And then fill in everything else. What is in your hand? We have to understand whenever God is calling us to a ministry work or to volunteer or to do something or to be obedient to his word or simply just read and be obedient to his word, he's not asking for anything that we can't offer back. He says, look, I am going to be with you. They are going to let you go. It's going to, be, it's going to require me to you know, persuade them a little bit, and I'm willing to do that, but I, you, you've got to go. You've got to make it. You've got to get to Egypt. You've got to get with the elders, and you've got to go to the Pharaoh. Then once, once you have everything in place, and once you're ready to go, then I'm going to jump in with the things that you can't do. I'm going to show them that they're dealing with a very mighty God who wants his children out of oppression. But we've got to be willing to look down and see what God has called us to do. Say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. And he's going to say, well, whatever you have in your hand, take up and let's go. But even even went further. And even these three signs that he was talking about, notice that, that Moses didn't have to get to um, to go get anything. He was already supplied for these things and these signs. He says, Now take your hand and put it in your bosom. So now take it out again. And it was white as and leprous and diseased looking. He says, All right, put it back. He put it back. And he pulls it back out and it's whole again. And before Moses could could um, to speak up and make another excuse. I, I kind of see this kind of comical. That's the way I see things. I can just see God just laying one thing right after the other. He says, okay, you drop your stick. Pick it back up. All right, now put your hand in. Now, before you say anything, if they're not going to believe those two things, i got a third one for you. Just go get some water out of the river, pick it up, and dump it out on the dry ground, and it's going to become blood. You're going to show that you have, been, you have spoken to Yahweh, the great I Am, and they're going to have to pay attention. They can either listen to you. I've already told you they're not. But the fact that they're not going to listen to you, they're not going to follow what I desire for you to have, I'm going to handle business. But I just need you to go. I need you to stop making excuses. 
I've got this. Pick up and go. Take your stick and let's get, let's get busy. But however, even with all of that, let me ask you, do you think Moses is up and ready to go yet? Does he have any more excuses left? Well, the one thing that he's asking to do is to go and tell the elders. And to tell the Egyptians, if they question you, you've got to tell them this. So it requires speaking, right? So what does he throw up next in verse 10? In verse 10, he says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I don't talk very well. I speak funny. So therefore, you want somebody to go talk to these people, but yet I don't talk very well. So I'm really, you're barking up the wrong tree here. I don't do this very well. Now, is he making an excuse here? Let's just jump back to Acts chapter 7 real quick. We jump back to Acts chapter 7 in verse 22. Listen to this account. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, it says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now, what kind of an education do you think you would get as being the son of the Pharaoh's daughter? You're going to get the top-notch education, right? And they're going to make sure that you are capable of handling business. And it says that in all, it said, And Moses was learned in all of his wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Did Moses speak? Yeah. I don't think he had much of a problem. He may not have been able to speak as good as everybody else, but he was mighty in words and deeds. And he's telling God, I don't talk well. I'm not really eloquent. I mean, I'm just, I talk slow. I'm slow in speech. I may stutter a little bit. You know, I'm just not that guy. So surely you can't be asking me to do that. I love the way that God responds here. He has thrown up another excuse, and whenever, we, whenever, whenever the Lord comes back, he says this in verse 11, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute and the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? If God is calling you to do something, he has got unlimited power and resources to make you the person that he is calling you to be without limits and Moses is failing to see this or there's, a, there's another issue at hand and I can, I can see maybe at this point and you know there's no way to really tell it's kind of like reading text messages you don't really know the, the emphasis or what, what's happening or you can um, or you can um, you can make a mistake in judging someone's tone in their text. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, thinking they're saying something really mean and ugly, and it's really just casually said. But what I see here in verse, going from verse 11 to verse 12, I can see God saying, Now therefore, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Stop with all of these excuses. He keeps throwing up these excuses, and then God keeps shooting them down. He answers them. In the positive, giving, giving great encouragement, and, and for whatever reason may be, Moses should be the very most encouraged right now at this point because everything he's been able to throw back at God, God has come back with an answer. Not only with an answer, but also with encouragement and telling him the end results of what he is going to do. 
It's time to get up and it's time to go to Egypt and do what I've called you to do so I can bring my people out of Egypt and bring them to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And Moses, up to this point, has failed to throw up an excuse to God that he has not been able to successfully rebut. So either Moses isn't really the guy or he's misunderstanding something here. And though we may not be you know, the greatest speakers, we may not be the people that we think we ought to be in the service of the Lord. But something I want us to be sure and to understand here, looking at verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12. When God has laid something out for us to do, whether it's just simply, simple obedience to his word or a specific calling in ministry, I want you to understand that our inadequacies are not a problem. And you may have an inadequacy. You may not be able to speak well. You may not be able to do things like other people can do. But your inadequacies are nothing more than an opportunity for God to show himself strong in you. Because I want you to understand there's a lot of things that you know, God will call us to that are bigger than we are. It requires something so much more than we personally can do, but whenever we are obedient and we allow God to show up and to show, show his work through us, then he's the one that receives the honor and the glory, not us personally. Because we do know our personal limitations and inabilities. And whenever someone says, man, you're doing an awesome job, I can't believe how well you did, man, you don't really understand. It's nothing that I've done, but only God's done this through me. And we're able to, and we're able to take those opportunities to give God glory for the work that he has done through us despite our inabilities and our weaknesses and our fears. But he says, go to Egypt. I want you to do it. Again, Moses, he's trying really hard, isn't he? And he may be just insecure or it may be something different. Let's take a look at verse 13. And verse 13 says, but he said, oh my Lord, Please, by the hand of whomever else you may send. I believe it has come really down to the truth. Moses flat out said, I just don't want to do it. Send somebody else. And you really think that what's actually happened here is that Moses has been backed up into a corner knowing that throwing up another excuse, God is only going to answer it and, and give him a solution to the problem. And now he's back to the point where he can say nothing else except for the truth. God, send somebody else. I just really don't want to do it. I'm hanging out here. Everything's set, things are set up fine. I've got my father-in-law, my, my wife, my children. I'm fine. Life is kind of easy for me here. Just send somebody else. It sounds like a lot of work for me to go and to lead the people out of Egypt. By your hand, choose someone else, anybody else but me. I'm just not your guy. And, re and, and realistically, what's Moses saying? No. God is saying, go to Egypt and free my people. Moses has just come to the point where he's saying, nope, I just don't want to do it. He's, no, he's out of excuses. He's got, he's out of, he's, this has absolutely nothing to do with rationalization. He has no evidence or anything that he's trying to argue with God. He's just flat to the point. I don't have any other reason to say to you, I just don't want to do it. What happens if God takes that? The God of the universe, the creator of all things. I mean, the, the one who gives life and death, the one who has the power to raise you up or to, or to throw you down. In verse 
14, after getting that response uh, from Moses, which said, just, just call somebody else. Verse 14, it says, so the, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I think God is angry when we say no. I don't think God's very happy when his children look to him, puny little children, and God says, look, I need you to go do this. Through you, I want to do great and mighty things. I need you to step out here and go do this. No. How many of your parents have been angry whenever your children have told you <laughs> no? Yeah? It says here that God's anger was kindled against Moses. In verse 14, it says, And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, you know, he is also coming to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. God did not take no for an answer here. He says, look, we'll deal with this a different way. Your brother Aaron, he speaks well. What you're going to do is I'm going to talk to you, you're going to talk to Aaron, and then Aaron is going to talk to the people. Okay? That'll work. So God's willing to let this happen, right? But was this part of God's original plan? No. It wasn't a part of God's original plan. No, absolutely not. And having Aaron as a spokespeople to Israel, giving him a leader, leadership position under Moses, was that always a good thing? What happened when they came out of Egypt and Moses was on the mountaintop getting the Ten Commandments? Who was the one that led the people to have a golden calf and to worship the golden calf? Aaron. And had Aaron not been given that position of leadership and authority over the people, he may not have been able to persuade them. Now, that's just speculation. But what I'm saying is that God's perfect will was for Moses to go and talk to the people and for Moses to go and talk to the king of Egypt and for Moses to lead the children out of, out of, um, out of Egypt. But because of all of the excuses and the fact that Moses said, look, just send anybody else. God did not say, okay, I'll just send somebody else. He said, look, all right, I'll give you your brother. Work with him, get this thing done, and then we'll get you out of Egypt. But God's perfect will is always better than his permissive will. When God calls us to do something, we need to go forward according to his plan, his will, and his purpose, his way. Because that's always the best way. Now, in conclusion to what we see here, <coughs> in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 20, we see that finally Moses is out of excuses. And saying, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not good enough for God. God says, no, you're going to go and you're going to go with Aaron. In verse 20, it says, Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. We had a breakthrough here, didn't we? Moses is finally obedient to what God has called him to do. And Moses ultimately did, his, did what the Lord asked. He ended up being a great leader of the children of Israel. He did a great and mighty, mighty work. God did many things through the ministry of Moses to the people. Eventually, he did lead over 2 million Israelites out of the land of Egypt 
and into the promised land. And when we walk in obedience, we too will touch the lives around us, if we're willing to do it. If we're willing to step out in obedience and do what God has called us to do. Now, we are all like one in the fact that we're called to read this book and be obedient to it. Okay, it's been said that 95% of God's will is found in this book in black and white. 95%. I believe if we focus on the 95% that's in here and we're obedient to it, the 5% can work its way out. Now, we all may have different callings in different specific areas, different areas in which we are talented. We have different abilities that God is calling us to use, so therefore, the, God's call on your life may be different than mine. As far as I know, I'm the only person in here who's called to be the pastor of First Baptist Church, at least in 2018, okay? So it's, I'm, I'm unique in that. But however, God has a unique calling for you and in your purpose. And whatever that might be, whatever that still small voice is that God has put on your heart to go and do something or has given you a burden to see things happen, God may just be calling you to do it. And we need to make sure that whenever God speaks to us through His Word and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that we are obedient and we stop throwing out excuses. No more excuses. Whenever God says something, and we need to recognize the voice of God. He's saying, look, I need you to do this, and we are obedient to it without making the excuse. I'm not good enough. God says, look, it doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's not about who you are, but it's about everything to do with me. I need you to go do that. I'll handle everything else. And we need to step out in obedience and in faith, trusting God that he's going to bring us to the success that he wants us to have. And step out in obedience. No more excuses. I'll read this quote to you, and then we'll prepare for an invitation here. It says, It's a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than to face the responsibilities of not doing it. The cost of obedience is nothing when compared with the cost of disobedience. We are in a much better position when we choose to be faithful to God, to be obedient to Him. Excuses don't work with God. Because you have to understand, any excuse that we can possibly think of, God can overcome it. And he did, he did that with Moses. Back Moses all the way up into the corner to finally had to actually admit, I just don't want to do it. Let's not get backed up into that corner. Now we'll understand that you know, God's calling on our lives as we've gone through over and over again. It costs, there's a sacrifice, there's a price to pay. It's hard work, it's difficult in the world in which we live. But allow God to overcome those difficulties. And to give you the success, we just have to be obedient and to do what he's called us to do. You know, we have an opportunity here at First Baptist, here in the very future. You've got the, you've got the list in your bulletin. But I'm asking everyone to fill something out, put something down, put a place, make a check, you know, write something out that you want to see done in First Baptist Church, a part that you want to be a part in. We need everyone here. We need, every, we need all hands on deck to do what God has called us to do. I don't believe that, you know, being a Christian, I don't believe being a church member is a spectator sport. I believe it requires all of us doing our own part for the greatest efficiency, for the greatest use of our resources, and for the greatest impact that we could possibly have. It requires all of us to do it. Now, you may not know what God's calling you to do. You may be confused. And I will, I will, will willingly admit, there's been many times, I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? I want to do something, but I just have no idea. But because I had no idea of what my next step was, or I didn't have the confidence in what I should do, I just didn't do anything. And with that, I want to close with this last verse in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. It says this, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts 
will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. If you're going to commit to work, if you're going to commit to give him his time, to put your effort where God wants you to be, our thoughts will then be established. God can continually speak to you and direct you step by step throughout your entire life. God's calling each and every one of you to do something. I want you to understand that. He's not calling any of us to be idle or to do nothing. He's calling everyone to do something. But it's time for us to listen to what God has to say. Some of us may need to have to repent of sin so we can actually clearly hear and, and speak to the Lord. Some of us need to clear our lives out and step, step forward and say, God, I haven't been the Christian that you've called me to be. God, I want you to forgive me, but now I'm being used of you. I'm ready to go. We need to have the idea or we need to have the, um, the response that Moses had whenever God first called out to him. What did he say? He said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. Notice that's the exact same response that Abraham had in Genesis chapter 22 when it came to him sacrificing his son Isaac. We need to be doing what God has called us to do. And it's time for no more excuses. Let's stand, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word today. And speak into our hearts like you have. Father, we, we are ready to lay down our excuses on the altar, Father. We want to be used of you. Help us to recognize the God that you are and the things that you want to have done in our lives. We want to do what you're calling us to do, Father. We give ourselves to you this very hour. I pray if there's someone here struggling with this decision, that you'll speak to their heart and just let them see you for who you are. I pray we want to ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.